Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital or you are looking to get your company acquired or just need some sound financial planning and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at PantheraAdvisors.com or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So super excited about our guest today. I think that we're gonna be learning quite a bit about going from academics to founder, from founder to corporate, from corporate to founder. I mean you name it. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Anup Gupta. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Delighted to be here and meeting your audience. So originally you were born in, in Delhi. Obviously you did jump quite a bit because of your father's uh, job, but uh, doing a little bit of a walk through memory lane, how was life growing up there? Life growing up uh, was good. You know, um, there was not a lot of electronics. There was not a lot of television, a lot of going to the neighbors and playing with the kids. So growing up was a lot of fun in a different world. <laughs> Uh, that is that, and and tell us a little bit about jumping around because of your father's uh, job. I'm sure that you had to make a lot of new friendships if you were jumping around. Yes, no, that is totally true. You know, we used to move every three or four years, and so you went to a new school and you made new friends. And one of the interesting things for me was uh, when I was in high school, my pa parents went to Africa. They went to Livingston, where the Victoria Falls are. And they put me in a boarding school. So two interesting aspects out, out of it. Firstly, you know, I used to complain a lot about what I eat and what I do. Two months in a boarding school, all those problems were fixed. Okay, no problems. <laughs> ate everything, you know, without complaining. Also, you know, this year is around 1972, 73. People didn't fly that much, and we got to, you know, fly to Africa, see the world, stop in between. And so it was just a very eye-opening and broadening uh, perspective for me to look at the larger world, to look at diverse people, and celebrate that diversity and that attitude that came to me. So obviously following course there, you know, from the culture in India where it seems that you are born with either a degree in, you know, uh, medicine or in engineering. So obviously you got your engineer degree, but, uh, but, but basically after getting your electrical engineering degree, you thought it was time to come to the U.S. So why was that the case? So, you know, the, it was something I always thought about, you know, some of my cousins and uncles had done that. 
and many friends leave IIT, you know, they had a premium institute. At that time, my class size was 42. 32 out of the 42 people came to the U.S. to do wow. graduate studies. It was just the done thing at that time that if you're the best, you go and try to learn more. So it was not a big surprising move for me. And but it was a very exciting move. You know, I got to go to Carnegie Mellon, which is one of the best schools in computer science in the world. And in this case, you decided rather than going the business, you know, route, which is essentially what you're doing now. I mean, you thought it was it was better to teach others. So where did you get that, you know, love for academia? So love for academia, you know. So one was, you know, after you do your PhD, you know, and the, one of the good things about Carnegie Mellon was I met my wife there. So, you know, the big <laughs> that's a big one. You know, that's a big one for any. And of course, it was a fantastic school. So I looked at companies, I looked at research labs, but when you get an offer from Stanford and you have that opportunity, you know, that combination of research and teaching and innovating, you know, can't give that up. It was just very, very exciting to have that opportunity. Felt very blessed and grateful for that. And what is this thing about Stanford and and the and the atmosphere there that gets people hooked when it comes to innovation? I think there are a couple of things. One is, you know, it it is the air around you, it is the surrounding atmosphere. There are just companies everywhere. The second thing is the culture at Stanford, right? The culture at Stanford is an entrepreneurial culture. So, you know, after I got tenure, and this is uh, 86, so, you know, this is around 94, 95, that is there. I went to my manager at that time, John Hennessy, who later became, became the president of Stanford University, an incredible president. So I said, you know, hey, I'm thinking about it. What do you think? He said, Anoop, just go and do it. So he said there are two options. You know, one is you're going to succeed, and that is fantastic, and you would have learned a lot. Second is, you know, you're going to maybe fail. The company doesn't succeed. You still have a job at Stanford, you know, and it's incredible. And you come back, and you would have still learned a lot. So there is this entrepreneurial culture. He himself had done two startups by that time already. And in fact, it's almost weird if you don't do a startup, if you're a professor of computer science at Stanford. And you took that seriously because uh, literally 10 years in, you decided it was time to go at it on your own and you started V-Extreme. So tell us about V-Extreme. How did that come about and, and how frightening that was? You know, before we formed V-Extreme, actually, with a couple of my graduate students, we started doing research. It was the very early days of the internet. Okay, the Netscape browser, the Internet Explorer were just coming out. The network bandwidths were not that much, and we said internet video is going to be big. And we had a lot of expertise on how to transmit video on these crappy networks and crappy browsers that there, and we said, there's going to be a lot of interest. So, you know, CNN became our customer. 
at that point in time, they, you know, it was postage size, stamp size clips, but they were there and people could watch anytime. Uh, another built-in customer for us was Stanford University. Stanford is very big in uh, remote education. So, you know, a lot of the industry community, people come and do remote masters at Stanford. And Stanford used to use microwave technology, <laughs> not the internet, to broadcast those lectures to those people. And we became the platform and the foundation for broadcasting those lectures on the internet, using our platform, having discussions around it. You know, things that came around only a decade, decade and a half later than with Coursera and edX and everything else, we were doing that you know, in 96. And how were you guys making money with that? So the money was, uh, you know, we would sell the platform. Hey, if you want to do these videos and this is the amount of bandwidth you need. So, you know, it was based on that. And there was no cloud. So we had a lot of servers and an internet connection, <laughs> you know, uh, that we had purchased and deployed. So those were, you know, crazy and interesting times for us to be doing that. That's amazing. Now, in terms of, you know, the, because in this case, I mean, how, how did you all capitalize the business? Because at that point, probably it was not as, as, you know, like right now that it has been like one of the biggest years in raising money for companies. I mean, I'm sure it was not as easy raising money back then. Yeah. So people, you know, on Sand Hill Road, you know, the venture company still existed. You know, Benchmark Capital was there. Kleiner Perkins was there. There were many of the companies. But we bootstrapped the company with some more angel investors. One of my co-founders was Diane Green, uh, you know, who later did VMware. And she had contacts in the industry from many of the CEOs of companies, etc. So we raised the money that way rather than you know, the traditional VC route. And then we got acquired by Microsoft, you know, just 18 months into the company. And how was that process like? So, you know, Microsoft was getting into media, streaming media, rail networks was doing things. I don't exactly remember, but, you know, they contacted us and uh, they said, what are you doing? What is happening? And... We visited them. They came and visited us once, and then it was a quick transaction, and we were excited. So I remember you were talking about John Hennessy saying that it's all about learning and that uh, those experiences you know, are, are, are really what this is all about. And, and, and in this case for you, when it came to, to your first day in Rodeo Hero with Extreme. If you could pick like the three biggest lessons that maybe now you're really keeping in mind as you are executing with your with your most recent company, which we're going to be talking about in just a little bit, what are those three biggest takeaways that you took from that experience? I think the first thing I would talk about is culture and values and executive team in some sense. So all of us were young. For all of us, this was our first startup. For all of us, it was about, you, you know, a little bit too much of what I am going to make versus what we are going to do together and increase the pie. Um, and so that was some hard conversations, you know, who's contributing more and who's contributing less and 
And that is just not the right thing. We learned a lot. Everybody's gone up and done amazing things, but those were learnings and lessons. I believe a lot of startups may fail because of the dynamics that you may have internally. And those culture and values that you do are really, really important. And we learn faster. Yeah. And, you know, we were successful, so that was good. So that is one. The second is, you know, focus and understanding market. So we were much more technology-driven and what the technology can do <laughs> rather than, you know, where is exactly is demand and how do we focus and deliver on that? And so we did, again, we ended up doing well. Did we end up being as big as we possibly could have been? Probably not. But, you know, those are, again, product market fit, really listening to the customer, focusing in, not trying to do too many things. Those were all things that we, you know, had to learn as we were flying the plane rather than earlier on. And these are all things that get better when you're doing it the next time. And, you know, one thing that is really interesting here is that typically when you go through an acquisition, you know, they put you the, the vesting period where you're supposed to be staying, you know, on board of the company that is acquiring you for, for around two years. You know, that's typically the norm. You know, people call it in a fun way, the vesting and resting. But in your case, there was like not a lot of resting because literally you were there for 18 years. So what, 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 what hooked you for so long, you know, in, in, in Microsoft? So I was very blessed at, you know, Microsoft, just the opportunities and the learnings and what I could do there. So Microsoft at that time was just starting Microsoft Research. Okay. Uh, they existed for a long time. And given my, you know, academic background, I spent my first four or five years at Microsoft uh, Research. and. I built one of the most amazing teams that had some of the best people in vision research, graphics research, UI research, and we built prototypes and we showed prototypes. And you know, all of the CEOs, they used to have a CEO summit where we would show off. So we had a great opportunity to work in a cross uh, you know, domains do it without having to worry about the funding, you know, which is always a big deal in academia and things you have to think about. So, you know, that was actually just a great opportunity. And I got to interact, uh, you know, with Bill Gates and many of the senior leadership at that time. And then I got a call out of the blue that Bill Gates will like you for this role of, you know, technology assistant advisor and work directly with him. And my office was right next to him. Firstly, I was a bit nervous, you know. <laughs> you know, you have the self-doubt syndrome, uh, you know, am I good enough? Can I deal with it? What is it going to take? And, you know, but I said, hey, this is a learning opportunity. He's open to the idea. He doesn't think I'm going to make a fool of myself and help him. And I took on that role. Uh, there were some amazing years. What were you doing there uh, when reporting directly to uh, to Bill Gates? I mean, what, what what was that like? And and also, what did you learn from reporting to one of the you know best entrepreneurs of of our era? Yeah, and, and that's, a, that's a, a great question uh, that is there. 
so when I was with Bell, I got a chance to, you know, look fundamentally at the product strategy as, you know, Bell was thinking about it, uh, work with him and think at that level. I sat in almost each and every product review that he did. You know, the teams used to come and say, here's what we are doing. And uh, uh, Bill would be nice, but Bill might also slice them into pieces. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that might be there. And I would think a lot about why was he, not just what question he asked, but why was he asking the question? What was it behind him? Bill was one of the biggest integrators. Every meeting he will go into, he will come out and he would have combined things from everything he knew in the past with the new information that he learned in the meeting. So how to synthesize, combine and build that collective view because everybody was in kind of in their silo, but Bill built this, you know, let's build this collective view that was, uh, you know, really powerful and uh, you know, great to see. Also, you know, there's a Netflix movie about Bill and what he does. So, you know, they talk about Bill's Tank Week, which is, you know, twice a year. He goes away for a week and, you know, reads a lot on every kind of thing. So my job was to pre-read <laughs> what he read. So, you know, people from all over Microsoft will submit hundreds of things and, and say, you know, we want Bill to read this. We want Bill to read this. Uh, Bill trusted me with enough to know what is in his head, what would be interesting to him. And so I did a lot of the selection process uh, of that for him. While I was working, I also worked on some, you know, what we call real-time collaboration. So all of the things that we are doing right now uh, were a big part of the strategy, and we were going to acquire some companies. We were thinking of WebEx. We were thinking of Placeware at that time. And Bill at that time was the chief software architect and not the CEO. He had given it to Steve Bomber. So Bill used to be our coach on how to pitch to Bomber. So he put two things in the Steve is going to ask you this question. You better prepare for it. Or this is the right way to answer it so that you don't screw up. So we got to work very closely with him. And, you know, when it came time to then do next, the big question for me was to go back to the Microsoft research environment and go and lead a business. And, uh, you know, I was lucky to have the opportunity to go and lead a business then. Nice. Yeah, because obviously in Microsoft, you did jump uh, quite a bit, you know, from one department to another, you know, which uh, allowed you to to kind of like um, get to learn different sides of a, of a business, especially from such a successful uh, entity like Microsoft. But, you know, in this case, you know, after such a long time, 18 years, you know, you decide that it's time to give your notice. Well, why did you do that? So basically, you know, Microsoft had been very good to me, and that gave me the financial flexibility. One is to go and do something else. And even at Microsoft, I was driving incubations, which was good. One of the things that I said when I was leaving was, at some level in Microsoft, what they, the way they think about innovation is, here is an 18-wheeler truck, Okay. Drive around and see what is new that you can find. Because what is of interest to them is things that are very big. 
and they are a very focused company and rightfully so on what needed to be, be done. You know, we all have one life and we got to do things we have to do. And my feeling was, and my co-founder, we wanted to be on a mountain bike. We wanted to go and explore places and roads that you don't get to on an 18-wheeler. We wanted to do things that may or may not be relevant to Microsoft. We wanted that freedom. And there is something unique about building a business from zero to one, rather than having the leverage and the brand and everything of the very large and successful business and doing something to stop. And so that's how Zipstone and Seekout were born. So then tell us about you know that that process because as they say, ideas take time to incubate. So you know it's not like overnight. You know, like you're like, okay, I got it. You know, this is it, and I'm and I'm going with it. So so what was that incubation process like, and and how did you guys think about bringing it to life? So you know, the first we did not jump ship from Microsoft with a specific idea in mind. We actually did a lot of brainstorming for the first two three months on what we're gonna do, take new ideas, and very diverse set of ideas because we are very strong problem solvers. You know, amongst the founding team, we have like 200 issued US patents. <laughs> wow. uh, so we know how to solve a problem. Our problem, we initially focused on messaging. You know, the thing on messaging, I had running Exchange and Skype, I had a lot, a lot of background there. And we said spam is such a big issue that is there. And the problem is, People hide their email addresses, people hide their phone numbers, people do this thing because they are afraid of spam. If you do it, everybody will blast you. So we wanted to do a system where there was friction on the sender side. And we built a system, you know, called Nextio where it was like email, but you had to put a posted stamp, you know, when you send a message and you could decide what the value of posted stamp would be, you know, how. You can give it to a charity, et cetera, et cetera, to meaningful. There was a lot of interest in the idea, but we were maybe a combination of bad consumer marketers, and we could not scale the audience because in a messaging system, you need millions and millions and millions yeah. of people you know, to do that. Uh, we built something called Career Insights where we could tell people on analysis of all resumes what they could do next those opportunities uh, that helped, but there was a lot of interest from the talent acquisition community and we had built a lot of scale. So that's when in fall of 2017, CCAP was born, we pivoted. And pivoting is hard actually. A lot of venture capitalists have told me the fact that you pivoted, that you listened, you observed, and you didn't remain stuck on that idea. We like you. <laughs> Cheers. Okay. And so we pivoted and Seekout was born and we've had an amazing journey as Seekout. And that's great that you say that because a lot of people, you know, think that there is a negative connotation on doing a pivot. And, and I'm right there with you. I think that listening when it comes to business is absolutely everything. And, and a business plan, you know, or a pitch deck is not bulletproof. You got to constantly, you know, iterate as you're receiving feedback from customers or employees or investors. So, so, so that's amazing. So I guess in, in, in your guys' case, Anoop, what ended up becoming the business model of Seekout? So today, 
you know, we are a talent acquisition platform, you know, that helps companies, gives companies a competitive advantage, recruiting hard to find and diverse talent. It is used by recruiters inside a company or otherwise, and we sell a per recruiter seat license. Okay, the price is between five and ten thousand dollars per recruiter seat annual license. It's a SaaS subscription, and people can find amazing candidates. By can people can see the talent analytics. People can find the email or other addresses. People can engage them. So that's the business model today. And 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 here, I mean, you you've raised a little bit of money. How much have you raised to date for the company? I think it's 189 million dollars. Wow! I mean, that's a lot of zeros. An oop. So, what 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 has been the process of going from one financing cycle to another one for you guys? Okay, so we raised a seed round in 2016 when we were still working on the messaging system. Then we raised a Series A in early 2018 from Madrona and Mayfield. $6 million off money at that point in time. And then a year and a half, two later, so that I'm almost losing a little bit. So, so we are a year into it. Then two years later, we raised a Series B with Tiger and Madrona at $460 million, almost 20x of what we had done for Series A. And then in the last nine months, you know, we raised a Series C which is 2.6x times the valuation of the Series B. So it's been a pretty rocket ship trajectory in terms of valuation, but it has also been actually a pretty amazing growth trajectory. Uh, first year was zero to one million, the next year was one to four. During the pandemic, we grew two and a half x to 10 million, and this year we are growing three x. So it is a very rapid increase. And one of the other unusual things about um, our company is we are essentially break even. So although we've raised a lot of money and we can get into how we use it, et cetera, we are essentially break even. Every dollar we've raised so far is still on the bank, available wow. to us to acquire, to build, to hire that we do. So then why did you raise the money? So we raised the money because we are expanding into a much larger vision and how we play. So from talent acquisition, which is external people, companies today, you know, the last two years has seen a seismic change in the world of work and how talent and companies engage. There is a lot at stake and how companies hire, retain, grow their talent will make the difference between companies surviving, thriving, or dying for that matter. The balance of power is shifting you know, to the employees, accelerating digital transformation, you know, remote and hybrid work, diversity, so a lot is changing. So, while we are helping companies today with talent acquisition and six of the most 10 most highly valued companies you know are customers of ours and lots and lots of we have over a thousand plus customers we are also hearing from customer this need for retention 
and growth and development. And all of that, the foundation of that is having data. One of the things I say is, you know, enterprises have become very data centric and data about sales, marketing, everything. But when it comes to their most critical asset, the people they have or people they want to hire, they don't have data. The visibility is very good. So we are building a platform where we will provide people the best data from their internal sources, which are in silos, external sources, which are diverse, bring them together. So and that's what we call a talent. 360 data platform. On top of that is a talent intelligence platform because data is useful without you know, great insights and predictive insights. And then on top of that is a talent action platform that says, you know, based on the insights, what is the action to do and do? And collectively, we call it you know, talent 360 for enterprise talent optimization because it's really looking at your whole employee base and external talent and saying, what is the strategy? What is the action I'm going to take to drive success? Got it. Now, imagine you go to sleep tonight, Anu, yeah. and you, go, you wake up in a world, let's say five years later, where the vision of Seekout is fully realized. What does that world look like? So what that world looks like is there are two audiences we think for. One is for employees. You know, employees today, many will tell you it is easier for them to find a job outside than a growth opportunity inside the company. Okay. Employees don't know what are their possibilities inside the company. Is there a different career path they can take? You know, is there somebody they should talk to? What are the open jobs? Where do I match? What should I learn? So one is you will see our platform and a vision where employees are empowered with the help of managers, but otherwise themselves too, to grow their careers, to you know, realize their potential. The second side of it is top-down, which is enterprise, the HR leaders, the business leaders, as they're making the strategies for their talent and saying, who do we need to hire? Who do we have internally? You know, what does the talent look between the divisions? Oh, we are stopping this project. How do we distribute the talent? They will have the data and the insights to do, you know, great by the companies and realize their vision. So then imagine if I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, you know, maybe to that moment where you were still at Stanford and thinking about taking the leap of faith you know, with, the, with your new company, with, with the first company. But, but, but before that, before even taking the leap of faith, imagine you had the opportunity of going back in time and having a chat with that younger Anoop and giving that younger Anoop one piece of business advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? <laughs> That's a good one. I think, uh, you know, who you choose as your co-founder and partner is really, really important. And the culture and the values and that you bring to the company from the very first hire to as you hire and build a company is really important. So I would have told Anu, be very thoughtful about that. 
because the problems changes, the world changes, but if you have the right team, you can overcome and be adaptable and succeed. I love that. So, um, Anup, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, they can come to my LinkedIn, okay? And certainly, you know, it's easy to find Anup Gupta there and you will see me. I do have an email, anup at cicad.com, and they could send me an email and I will respond. So those are the two easiest ways to get to me. Amazing. Well, Anup, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you on. Thank you so much, Alejandro. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.